friend. Thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at thecrosspoint.com. Welcome to you. So glad you're here. My name is Sean. Just want to welcome you. If this is your first time here or second time, if we haven't met, just so glad that you're with us. Those of you joining us online, perhaps, uh, glad, glad that you're with us. Hey, do us a favor and let us know just so we can meet you. Maybe give you a, a couple of things from our Welcome Center, a free cup of coffee and a few things like that. So take that card in front of you. Let us know of your visit and we'd love, love to meet you. Hey, before we dive into what we're going to be looking at today, just want to give uh, a shout out, first of all, to our production team. Uh, sometimes, you know, they're out of sight, out of mind. You only look back there if something goes wrong. And I just want to say they, they serve us so faithfully. Uh, with the, the video that you just saw, the bumper for this introducing our series, I just do such a great job. And I just want to give them some credit this morning. So grateful for you. Ryan Reams, Nick Wickmer, all you guys. <clears throat> And it's fun because uh, Ryan Reeves was telling me, he said, hey man, we're getting a bunch of uh, students on our teams now. And so we've got a couple of high schoolers running our cameras. And I'd say, bravo, that's amazing. That's wonderful. We want you to feel like this is your church too. So we're intentionally an intergenerational church. You go to some churches where it's monolithic. In other words, everybody's just got skinny jeans and wearing, you know, and, and, other things. And, and, then, and then you go to other churches, it's like all grandmas and grandpas and so glad for that. We want this to look like it's a family. So we want you to know, no matter what your age is. I know this, uh, listen, I know some of you senior adults, you're like, I, you know, sometimes I just like the music is too loud and they're wearing, you know, holes in their jeans. It's like, what? don't they have more money than that? You're, you're thinking like that. And and I get it. You could go to a church where everybody looks like you, sounds like you, votes like you, but I'm so glad that you're here. We need you. We need, we need senior adults. We need teens. We need everybody serving together. It's supposed to be a family, okay? So because it's a family, we share the load. We share the giving. I don't talk about this every week, but just FYI, the lights, the air conditioning. When we replace an air conditioner, it's $50,000. So yours, you know, five or 6,000, and that'll do you, man. For us, it's like 50,000. We have a bunch of them. And we don't take up a special offering for that. We need to replace the air conditioner. Who will give? We don't do that because people consistently give. And I'm inviting you, be a part of the solution. So join us. If you haven't been giving, start today, man. Whatever you can give. And I think, Colleen, yeah, here's an easy way just to get on board and start. Do what the Lord is asking you to do. I'm not telling you what to do. Ask Jesus, and he knows what to do. And say, uh, you know, he said it's more blessed to give than receive. Now, Jesus said that. You've got to take that up with him, not me. So glad to be starting this series. We're going into our sermon a little bit earlier today on purpose. My hope is that God will meet us at the end of this service. He's really been stirred. I've had this on my heart for almost a year. 
to teach this series. So I, I want to, even now that you would begin to prepare your heart. Just say, God, what do you want to do in me? Because I know some of you are like, we got to beat the Baptist to Golden Corral. You know, you're, you're like, we're, we're on our way. Uh, and I understand that, but man, if Jesus is Lord of your life, if you haven't met him, I want you to encounter the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're looking at forgotten father, looking at his name called father. The principle of my message here today is call him father and keep his name holy. So I know some of you already, you think, oh, I know what he's going to talk about. No, you don't. You're going to be surprised, I think. I'm sometimes surprised by the way parents name their kids. You ever do that? It's like, I, I read about this kid in Tennessee, Newport, Tennessee, small community, and they, the mother had to go to court because she wanted to name her child Messiah. True story. So they, brought, so they brought him in and said, you can't, the court said, you can't name him Messiah because Messiah is a title that must be earned. So the higher courts, however, reversed the decision and he got to keep his name Messiah. But then, can't you imagine a little bit of the, you know, they say Messiah complex. You would get a Messiah complex. You go, go to school. All right, where is Messiah. Oh, there you are. Welcome, Messiah. It just, seems, it just feels a little weird, but sometimes you just go, what were parents thinking? If your name is Messiah here today, I'm glad you're here, by the way. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We've all got some weird names. After the first service, I met a lady. She said, I'm a school teacher. Uh, one of my students was named Surprise. <laughs> and, and the reason was is because the mom was 48 when she had him. That's a good reason, but can't you just imagine growing up? Oh, that's why I'm called surprise. <laughs> Please don't do that, parents. Don't name your child emperor or queen. It just, you know, it's like everything has a meaning behind it, doesn't it? When you say the name, you, you are getting something out of it. There's a reason that, that you were named that or why we name people, and it's to symbolize something. Scott McKnight, a professor, on the first day of his class, he teaches theology, but on the first day of his class, he does a psychological test, and the test begins like this. What do you think God's personality is like? Is he a warrior? Is he a rule breaker? Is he a rule keeper? And you're supposed to answer that. What are his characteristics? What's his personality like? So he does that, and then... Page two, what are your characteristics? What is your personality like? Are you a rule keeper, a rule breaker? And it may or may not surprise you to know that the answers are almost identical. Here's the premise. What you think about God shapes you. What you don't think about God shapes you. A.W. Tozer said this amazing Great quote at the beginning of his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When I say God, something comes to your mind. It symbolizes something or someone. It's like, even from the white supremacist who would say, I think I'm better than people because of my skin color, has a certain view of God. 
or the Gen Zer who wears skinny jeans and drinks fair trade coffee and is just chill. He's got an idea of what God is like, or even the rule-keeping grandma who rants on Facebook about nobody wants to work these days. Everybody is a theologian. Even when you don't think you are, you have a vision of what God is like, and that shapes how you view the world, how you view yourself, what you think he's like, what you are like. And often, that image begins here instead of there. And Jesus, this is so important because this text that we're looking at today in Matthew 6, so everything Jesus said was important, but I want you to get the context here as we read a few verses, and we'll begin in chapter 6 and verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. What was their motive? Be seen. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That's the reward they wanted. That's what they get. You want to be seen? You want people to be impressed? That's it. You got it. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I just want to comment on these verses because some people, when they read this, they say, see, that's why I don't go to church because I pray in private. It's just me and Jesus, man. Or they come and they don't pray out, would never pray out loud because I don't want, I'm this, you know, go into your closet and be quiet. But you need to read, we have to look at everything in context and look at everything Jesus said. So what Jesus is dealing with here is an attitude. What was their motive again? Be seen. That was the motive. Jesus says that's a problem. When the motive is that you would be impressive, God is not impressed. So the things that we think impress people Don't impress God. What impresses him is a heart that's pure. Well, we'll look at that, but again, the, the context and the whole counsel of God would say otherwise regarding corporate prayer, praying together with people. So we read in Acts 2, they were all together in one place, they were praying. We read in another place where they prayed all night for Peter to be released from jail. It says in chapter three of Acts that Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. So praying together is not the problem here. It's, it's about attitude. Okay, well, that's not, that's not our talk today, but I just felt like I needed to say that because Jesus is dealing with an attitude. And he's gonna show us how to approach God. What comes into your mind when I say God shapes you. And God wants us to approach him in a certain way. Jesus is going to help us because here in Matthew 6, he has been praying all night about who he should choose as disciples. He chooses his 12 and then lays out his kingdom agenda. In other words, what is my ministry going to be about? I'm going to tell you on the Sermon on the Mount, Mount of Beatitudes, that's what he's doing here. So he's going to begin to say, These are important things 
that I want you to know. As I begin my ministry, here's what I want you to know. And he starts talking about prayer and how to approach God. I want you to notice how many times, just in the verses that I read, and even if you go to the top of the chapter, how many times he says, our father or your father. Significant. When you go into your closet, your father sees you and your father knows what you have need of. And then in verse nine, when you pray or as you pray, pray like this. So some people have taken this to mean pray this prayer. And that's not wrong, but he's saying pray then like this. This is the way of prayer. This is how you approach God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the way we come to God. Now, this would have been revolutionary for the Hebrews that were listening in because they did not call God Father. Jesus introduced this. In the Old Testament, they would sometimes talk about God as Father, but more in a general sense. Never as your Father. This is Jesus, in a way, starting a revolution. My followers, I want you to come to God like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this would have been radical because for the Jews, they, when you said God's name is holy, they took it to the max because they were even afraid to say it out loud. The word Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, the four letters that we're not sure exactly how they pronounced it, this name that meant I am that I am that was given to Moses. And they were so afraid even to write it. When you see in the Old Testament, all caps, L-O-R-D, that is that name. And they would rather say Adonai or Lord than say Yahweh, this holy name of God. So for them to call that God Father was revolutionary. But Jesus says, this is the way you come. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. They had a fear of taking it in vain. I'd say for many of us, for me, growing up in church, I was used to talking about Jesus. I sang the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yeah, and then I would go on to invite Jesus into my heart. That's kind of the way the teacher, Sunday school teacher, taught me to come to God, was ask Jesus into your heart. Not a bad thing. But so I, I, I learned about Jesus. I understood Jesus' love for me. And as a Pentecostal growing up in a, a, a spirit-filled church, which many, many wonderful memories, some weird stuff too, but some good stuff. And they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. I saw the Holy Spirit do mighty things. But I'd have to say that many of my background would talk about the Holy Spirit rather in a sense of the power or the force. It's sort of like, you know, the Holy Spirit power is here, and we would talk about him not in a, per, in a personal sense, but rather as a force. Oh, well, you know, there's some good and some bad, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit, I still embrace it today. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're that kind of church. It's like, God, please do things. Do, do the impossible. Do what we can't do. Come on, Holy Spirit. But in my mind, and maybe this is not your story, but I suspect it is the case for many, 
the father was in the background. I love Jesus, not sure about the Holy Spirit, and the Father, well, yeah. And maybe you come from a tradition that you said the Apostles' Creed, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and that was kind of your concept, but then you moved on to Jesus, and we forgot about the Father. And there's a mystery about the Godhead, the mystery of He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Spirit. Yet there is one God. And the Bible is very clear on that. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, there is only one God. So the Father and the Son are not nervous about who's getting attention. Oh, they just prayed to you? Oh, man. I'm jealous. You know, it's not like that at all. Yet at the same time, Jesus tells us, here is the way you you need to approach God. And I want to ask you, when I say God, your father, what comes into your mind? What picture do you see? What do you feel? This is important stuff. When you pray, pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Some Christians think it's time to rebrand God, the father. Maybe we should call him mother because, you know, I heard a archbishop say that. So many of us have been under the oppression of, of men. We need to, this is problematic. Some people think that we should pray to Jesus uh, and they would say something like, well, I just prefer Jesus. Listen, friend, You've got a problem with Jesus because Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. I don't like that. Take it up with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the way we approach God. Call him Father. And John, the best friend of Jesus, says it this way in verse 18 of John 1, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, that is Jesus, he has made him known. Jesus' ministry is to make the Father known. This this sounds like, as I'm saying, is that what we believe? Yes, it is. But because we don't, we sort of assume some things, we don't necessarily say it. Jesus didn't only say it, he lived this out. So consider these verses here. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. That's another way of saying, listen to me, listen to me. This is important. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Jesus lived to do the will of the Father. He said this and prayed this on the night he was betrayed, fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was not about doing his own will. He was about doing the Father's will. Again, in another place, he said out loud, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice comes from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I wish I could have said that like in one of those really great voices. Would that freak you out? Not if I did that, but if you heard a voice from heaven. 
It should. She go, boom. I have glorified it. Jesus didn't just talk about this. This was his life, his way of living. He loved his father. So he says, call his name father and keep his name holy. Now there's obvious reactions to that. I can feel it in the room right now as I did in first service because as a culture, we just sort of think it's, that's problematic, isn't it? I mean, look at our sitcoms. When's the last time you saw a great sitcom that showed a responsible, honorable, respectful dad? But what do we have? Homer Simpson. Eat a donut and scratch your belly. Or uh, Phil Dunphy. You know, the kind of the teenager dad in the house. Hey, I'm just here to be your buddy. Or maybe Tim the Tool Man. Anybody remember him? If you're old enough, Tim the Tool. He's a likable guy, but don't you sort of look at him and just feel sorry for him and think, man, your wife's got it all together, but you? This is kind of goofy. And I'm asking myself the question and asking you, is this an accident? Is there something behind this? Can I just suggest, I think there is evil intent behind it. Not from people, but just this concept from the very beginning in Genesis. You can't trust God. That's what the serpent said. Oh, don't you think he just doesn't want you to be, he's trying to keep you away from something good. The oldest lie in the book, and it's been repeated over and over, let's mock fatherhood. And I'm not here to rant and say, you know, it's time for men to be men. That's, that's not my point here today. But to say that this is, how, this is how sometimes when we say God our Father, what we do, we project our view of Father onto Him when it ought to be the opposite. Some people would say we need to forget about Father because we're so hurt. I say we need to remember Father because we are hurt. So he says, when you pray, pray this way, call him Father. The word, our terms of endearment, they signify something, don't they? I mean, I am, I'm Sean, but I'm also husband, I'm pastor, I'm reverend, I'm babe and some other names that I won't share with you in my house. In fact, if you call me babe, we might have a problem. My wife might have a problem with you, but my wife doesn't call me pastor. That would just be weird in the home. I knew a guy, he was so insecure, he was like that. The whole family called him pastor. I'm like, you don't have a relationship with this man? He's not your daddy? This is why this is important. So, so he's saying, call him father. Why? I want you to understand your relationship with him. I want you to revere him as your father. And that's why, even like with my grandkids, it's like I'm trying to teach them to say poppy. In fact, I sometimes cheat. When Nani's not in the room, I'm saying, Poppy, Poppy. 
Papa, say it, repeat after me. Poppy, and they go, yeah, nah. That's it, that's it, man, I heard it. Papa, Poppy, she, he called me Poppy, she called me Poppy. Why? It's, it's about relationship. And Jesus says, begin this way. Call him Father, keep his name holy. Now there are negative, there's a negative and a positive here. Some people go to the negative extreme and would say, God is so holy that you really need to be careful because you go into his presence, he, he sometimes is a little nervous and he's really busy and be careful how you say his name, he might zap you. So there's that side of holiness and then there's the other extreme that sees God the Father as the indulgent daddy-o who is sort of just wink, wink like the teenager in the room or teenager in the basement who's doing weed with his kids and says, hey, I know I did this when I was a kid. Hey, be careful out there. Love you. And God is neither of those. When we say Holy. We need a father who is neither so holy that you can't approach him or so insignificant that he's irrelevant. We need a God who is both holy and good. Well, I don't know any fathers like that. Exactly. That's why there is a father in heaven who is totally different than any other father on this earth. He is both good and he is holy. And I'm so glad he's like that. He's not like a man. And don't you long for that? I mean, do you really want a God, a father who doesn't give a rip, who's just like, whatever you want to do, I'm just up here, you know, with the angels. You guys be careful down there. Is that what you really want? No. I've talked to young men and young ladies who say, I can't remember my dad. He never cared a rip. He, he didn't care whether I stayed out till two or three or four or never came in. He just, I just see him now and then. It was totally irrelevant to me. Converse to that, I think about my wife's dad and what a godly man he is. And he would, before my wife would go out on a Friday night, he'd have a clothing check. Okay, baby, come in. Let me see what you got on. Oh, how strict, how awful. No. What was he doing? He said, I was a boy once. I know how boys think. And you're not wearing that. That's love. Come on, can I get a witness? Are you guys, oh, it's, not, it's like, no, if you love somebody, you're gonna have, so God is both a promise keeper and a boundary keeper. He is both good and he is holy. What if our heavenly father wasn't holy? Let's just go there for a minute. What if, what if his love was tainted with insecurity? What if his love was tainted with lust? You should be terrified. But my friends, I introduce you to the one who is both good and holy. Let his name be holy. Well, how do I, how do, I do that? How do I keep his name holy because I don't know any perfect fathers and so we tend to project our relationship onto him and it ought to go the other way. So what am I supposed to do? How do I keep his name holy because it seems like every dad I know is a little dysfunctional? Yes. Daddy's in the room. 
Every one of you, you're a little bit dysfunctional. Well, thanks a lot, pastor. I thought I came here to get my self-esteem built up. No, I'm gonna tear it down first. We need to lose some of that. My dad was not perfect. He was a wonderful man. He was honorable. He loved Jesus, loved the same woman all, all of his life. But he did dumb things sometimes. Like the time we were in Northwest Louisiana and we go out on this swampy lake that we lived on and cypress trees and water moccasins and huge mosquitoes this big <laughs> that would sing nothing but the blood. And they would come flying your way. And, and you know, so we're tooling around, me and my brother, we're tooling around this little John boat, paddling and fishing. We look up on one of those cypress trees and there's one of those water moccasins on the, on the lowest branch, sunning. So we think it's cool, but we're also afraid. So we go, let's go get dad. He'll know what to do. So dad gets in the boat and he goes in there and said, dad says, I'm gonna take care of this. So he reaches up with a paddle. Yes, to whack the water moccasin. You know what happens, don't you? It falls into the boat. Have you ever seen two nine, a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old dance on the rim of a John boat? I, I'm here to tell you, friends, it's possible. You saw Jesus, you heard Jesus walked on water, I walked on the rim of a boat. So fathers here are not perfect, but there is one who is. What's at stake? Why does this really matter? Sean, why are you even going here? So what? I mean, it says Jesus is the way to the Father, so hey, you get Jesus, you get the Father. Essentially true. When you ask Jesus into your life, the Father comes too. I understand that. Yet he says, this is the way you should approach him. What's at stake? Ephesians 3 and 4, 14 and 15, Apostle Paul says it. For this reason, as he's thinking of Christians in Ephesus, he says, I bow my knees to who? Before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What's at stake? Not only God the Father's name, but your name, who you are, your identity. I will even go so far as to say we cannot know ourselves until we know our Father. Isn't it true at some level, even in this world, as many changes have come, but mostly still, we give the child the Father's name. We've done that for centuries. And the reason began possibly to, as a way of saying there is someone who takes responsibility for this child. And some of you right now that like goes to your heart and say, that wasn't my story or my father doesn't take responsibility for me. I get that. So here's the good news of the gospel. John, again, chapter one, verse 12, as many or to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? children of who? God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What is that saying? It's saying your second birth 
takes precedence over your first birth. God doesn't just give you a better future in heaven. He can also change your past. In that, he's saying there's no such thing in the kingdom of God as maybe you would say, well, you know, I'm here just because my mother had casual sex. No, you didn't. No, you aren't here just for that. God appointed you your destiny, and now you're born again. If you know Jesus Christ, there is a new name written in heaven. That's what the Bible says. So your new name, as it were, your new identity comes as a result of knowing Jesus who introduces you to the real perfect father. Isn't it true? I mean, I come from a long line of Craig's, so that's, that's my heritage. A lot of dysfunction in my family tree. Goes all the way back to Scotland and Ireland, but that's my name, my wife's name, True Blood. But what does that mean? That means that there was a father who said, I am responsible. I've got this child. They belong to me. And in the kingdom of God, when you receive Jesus Christ, you get a new father. So shouldn't you celebrate the name of your father? Shouldn't you rejoice over that name? I can't. My father was absent, I know. But there is a father who's holy and good. We used to have a daycare here, and so sometimes I get you know, sleepy in the middle of the afternoon, and I go down the halls, and I peer in some of those rooms. I especially like the four-year-old four class, because we have a lot in common. <laughs> we weren't supposed to laugh there. And I'd peek in, and frequently, one of the kids would look up, and they'd, and they'd say, oh, you're not my daddy. I'd go, yeah, I know. But then they'd look at me and go, but my daddy's coming. Yes, yeah, my daddy's coming. And sometimes I'd stand out there when the daddies come, and the good daddies who know what they're doing will walk in, and I'd see the little kid look around the door and there comes daddy and the face lights up and then daddy kind of runs sort of and then the baby girl, baby boy runs up and he picks them up and spins around and holds their face in, their, in his hands and he holds their face and there's this moment and it's like, daddy, I knew you would come. That's right, baby girl, you're mine. That's what I'm talking about. Celebrate the name of your father. That kid gets it. I'm saying we ought to feel this way about our heavenly father when we say, may his name be kept holy. What we're saying is, may his name be getting all the attention and all the worth and all the glory that is due his name because he's good and he's holy. Are you celebrating that? So I ask again, what comes into your mind when I say, God, your father? That, my friend, is shaping you more than you know. Either you see him as irrelevant or so holy I can't talk to him. 
And I'm asking you to listen to the words of Jesus. He's not like your earthly daddy. He is perfect and he is holy and he is good and he wants to know you. And listen, my friend, you want to know him even though you don't think you do. And I'm saying that for somebody in the room who doesn't know Jesus Christ and you've got the wrong idea about who the father is that Jesus wants to correct that. He wants you to know how awesome his father is and he wants to be your father. So what are you gonna do with that? Somebody in the room that you don't know Jesus Christ, you can't get to God the Father except through him. So he's the one that says, Father, I wanna introduce you to Sean. This is your father too. He is the way. Have you believed and trusted in Jesus Christ completely? Like we sang about it today. Christ in me. Christ in me. This is my hope. This is my confidence. Christ in me. If you haven't done that, I'm inviting you to cross the line of faith and say, yes, I believe Jesus is the son of God. And that is the door. He said, I am the door. I am the way. Say yes to Jesus. You get the father. He is the way in. I'm asking you, have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, that he could be, he could introduce you to his Father. As we respond today, I'm asking us to adore the Father. I'm asking us to get in touch again with how wonderful our Father in heaven is. Over these next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at that. What is he like? We're gonna listen from the words of Jesus a lot on what Jesus said about his Father. Today, though, let's make his name holy. Not the kind of holiness where you go, I'm, I'm just too afraid to say it. Holy is like one of those words that means set apart. It's like those dishes in your china cabinet that you use once a year. You say, no, those are special. You don't put them as a, use them as an oil pan underneath your car. I know some of you guys, you do stuff like that, but God will forgive you. <laughs> your wife will too. No, don't do that. Well, God's name is not to be you pulled out once a year, but it, it is, does have a sense of, man, it's special. Don't talk about my daddy that way. That's my dad. That's my father. And he's good and he's holy. That's why we should sing about him. That's why we should rejoice and celebrate his name as we will right now. Some of us need to repent. I don't mean like Gosh, I'm sorry I did it again. I'm talking about the kind of repentance where you change your mind about what you believed about the Father. Say, so I was wrong. God, my Father, you are good and you are holy. Tell me who I am. Define me. I want to take my cues from you. Not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this.